When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to My 90s Playlist. This is a podcast about the hits of the 90s. We're looking back at what made our favorite songs so popular back then and why we still love them now. I'm Tracy, a.k.a. DJ Didn't I Tell You? Mm. Because I probably told you at some point. That's true. You should have listened. I'm a Koto, a.k.a. Ko, a.k.a. Cocoa Butter. In each episode, we'll deep dive on one of our favorite songs of the 90s. The lyrics, the music, and how each song came to be. And we will look at the effects each of these songs has had on the world. We'll do some games, tell some stories, and above all, we will celebrate the music that we love so, so much. So everybody, hold on to your butts, because (laughs) upside, inside, out, we're adding the track to the mixtape. Come out! That was good. (laughs) Come on! (laughs) Do you remember how this video opens? No, I don't. It's inexplicably like a car crashing into a fire hydrant and the water just comes at the screen. She's into superstitions, black cats and voodoo dolls. I feel a premonition, that girl's gonna make me fall. She's into new sensations, new kicks in the candlelight. She's got a new addiction. I gotta say, it's not the verses for me though. It's the pre-chorus. It's the, yeah, right like, here. Make you take your clothes off and go dancing in the rain. That's a funny-ass thing. I mean, I'm with it. This song makes me think of Chris Rock. <laughs> because he... What was it, Bigger and Blacker? He I was talking remember. about the song, and through the whole thing, he would randomly go, Little La Vida, <laughs> oh, <yeah. Loka." laughs> <laughs> come on <laughs> yo Ricky has the best come on in music welcome to New York City in the funk at Hotel Oh my god, I fucking love Ricky Martin. I just gotta say. Me too. I just think he's like one of the most pleasant musicians that uh-huh. we've like come across in the last few decades. This is a wonderful transition into something that I really want to share. Oh my god, I'm ready. So you know how I be watching um old talk shows, mm-hmm. like tabloid TV talk shows and mm-hmm. stuff. So I'm watching one day as I'm dissociating and trying to pretend that the world is not terrible. Mm -hmm. The show's theme was people meeting their favorite 
singers, mm-hmm. celebrities, and like mm-hmm. being surprised by mm-hmm. them. Jody Watley was on it. Come on now, Jody. Onyx was on there because okay. there was this there was this girl who was just like, oh, I just love Onyx. It's just everything. And Onyx comes out a Kodo on. 11. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yelling. They just like jumping over stuff and they just like, <laughs> and the crowd is just like, oh, right. oh my gosh. Even the girl who wanted to meet them was kind of like, all right, y'all, <laughs> chill out for a little while. But the best part was when somebody wanted to meet Ricky Martin. Mm-hmm. Ricky Martin was 23 at the time. Oh my God. He was a baby. This is 1995. Okay. He comes on to sing a song. And, like, Ricky could barely get through it because the audience lost their shit. Everybody this is 95? Was, yes. Wow. I was so surprised that he had it like that Me, in 96. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know. So we got Homegirl on stage talking right. about how much she loves Ricky Martin. Mm-hmm. And she don't even speak Spanish. And she's right. like, I don't even know what he's saying. He's just fine. He's super right. fine. Oh, because that's because he was in Menudo. Uh-huh. Also and he was star. on General Hospital. Uh-huh. Right. So he was already, like, big in the world, which right. I didn't realize when I was younger. Right. So at this point, there's a woman having an alleged coughing fit, right? In the audience. In the audience. Uh-huh. To distract everybody as, here it comes, here it comes Ricky, and there go the orgasms. Uh, Boom goes the dynamite. <laughs> My favorite part of this mm-hmm. is during the question and answer section, everybody's question was, can I have a hug? <laughs> can I have a hug too? Can I have a hug? <laughs> Everybody just wanted to touch Ricky. Everybody just, and he didn't say no to anyone. Let's learn some stats about the man who brought us Living La Vida Loca, shall we? I'm eager we? to learn more. Okay, so the thing about his career, right? Ricky mm-hmm. Martin's career. It was always there. It was just in Spanish before it was in English. Oh, you see I what see. happened? Okay. He began in the music career at age 12 with Menudo. What mm-hmm. were you doing at 12? What was I doing at Not 12? touring the world. That not seen in a group. 1995. Mm-hmm. I definitely had just tried out for chorus Aww. and didn't make it. Oh, trash. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to bring you back to this. <laughs> that actually happened in 95. It was trash. Aww. But anyway, it's Well, fine. listen, Ricky Martin would have made that choir because he made Menudo <laughs> at 12. After recording 11 albums with Menudo, 11 albums with this group, Ricky Martin left... In July of 1989 at age 17. So, I know we just started these facts, but let's pause. <laughs> I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> Two albums a year? Yeah. I don't know if I've made 11 anythings, you know? I've definitely made 11 omelets. Have they all been bangers? I would say so. <laughs> wow. Okay, so it's a me thing. All right. So, for most of the 90s, Ricky Martin acted. Mm-hmm. Ricky Martin sang. Mm-hmm. He released four solo albums in Spanish. Mm. He became even more popular. And then this man was like, okay, I'm about six, seven years old. What else can I do? <laughs> He's like, let me go. Time's running out. <laughs> Must reach my maximum potential. <laughs> Um, he's like, okay, well, let me go ahead and uh, be on General Hospital real quick as um, a Puerto Rican singer and bartender. My grandma and auntie's favorite soap. Really? Did they mm-hmm. were they in love with Ricky Martin as the I don't bartender think so. and singer? No, mm. no, no, no. But no. they loved that, and it was fucking huge. Yeah, this huge. is back when like when everybody's auntie and grandma and them like watch the stories. Like, yes. oh, my stories is on General right, Hospital. Exactly. Is probably the story that your grandma was talking about when she said right. her stories. Yes. So on the set of General Hospital, Ricky felt like he lacked chemistry with the rest of the cast, right? And he noticed that people treated him differently because of his accent, because of his beautiful, just like luscious Puerto Rican accent. I love it so much. And at the time, so rude, I, right? Just let people be. 
At the time, it was really rare for Latinx people to appear on American TV, mm-hmm. right? And people suggested that he take accent reduction classes. And guess what he was like? He was like, nope. Come on. Refused. I knew I liked him. He was like, God, don't make no mistakes. Right. Don't make no junk. No. I sound like what I sound like. You're going to love it. Listeners, I'm standing for Ricky. She's not. She just told y'all a lot. <laughs> Her spirit no, was I'm, standing, though. Yes, my spirit is standing. I really appreciate that. So then after General Hospital, he's like, all right, I'm just going to do my music thing. Remember when I was two when I made all them albums back mm-hmm, in the day? Mm-hmm. I think I can still kind of dabble, mm-hmm. dibble and dabble. And um, he did so. His star rose exponentially. And mm-hmm. basically, he was known everywhere in the world except for the United States. Tracy. Yes. Can I tell you about Ricky's introduction to the U.S.? Yeah. And you might remember this because I definitely remember watching this. So Ricky Martin had an unforgettable Grammy performance Mm. at the 41st Grammy Awards in 1999. He performed Mm -hmm. The Cup of Life, which was the official World Cup song of 1998. Massive international hit, right? Mm-hmm. And so he wanted to perform at the Grammys. And just in general, Latin artists performing at the Grammys was back then and still is very rare. That in fact, sense. in the past 30 years, I've read there have been fewer than 15 Latin performances at the Grammys, including Daddy Yankee's rendition of Despacito last year. Wow. So it's crazy. It's already super rare. Mm-hmm. And the Grammys are really resistant to giving Ricky a performance slot. Right. No one really knew him, as you said, like as a solo musician in the U.S. So it's always very risky when you're giving a performance and like no one yeah. in the audience really knows what's going on. It's right? like the biggest stage Exactly. Ever. But they obliged. They gave into it. Girl. It was Do lit. you remember this? I'm pretty sure. Okay, so let me tell you what I remember. Okay. I remember Ricky Martin... On top of something, it's like a moving platform or something. Girl, get to it. You got it. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, you got it. So, the song starts. Mm-hmm. Mysterious people dressed in all black roll Ricky Martin out in what appears to be an elevator on wheels. A steel elevator on wheels. It's just like this big, silver, massive contraption. Okay. Like, Can turn... we see through the contraption? No, not yet. It's, okay. Nobody knows what's going on. They're just wheeling this big-ass square onto the stage. Okay. They turn around. To reveal a Ricky Martin. <laughs> <laughs> Smiling, of course, because that's like mm. his favorite thing to do. And he's so good at it. Yes. A smiling, dancey-ass Ricky with wide-leg leather pants. I remember the leather pants. Yes, okay. I remember the leather pants. So he launches into a bilingual version of Cup of Life, right? Uh-huh. People are in their seats. They're nodding their heads. They're like, oh. Oh, this is festive. This is cute. (laughs) At one point in the performance, Ricky even screams, come on, America. (laughs) Help me help you, America. Right, right, right. (laughs) So at some point he's gone through, and it's almost like at this point before the bridge, he goes, oh, me and my pants are not enough? (laughs) Fine, then. (laughs) The bridge hits. Tracy, it's a fucking conga line. Several conga lines coming through the aisles of the motherfucking... Yes, yes. that's what I remember. So at this point, the white people are going crazy, right? You know they love a conga line. <laughs> so white people are fucking losing White people it. do love a conga line. Yeah, that's they really true. do. So white people are fucking losing They're like, oh shit, this is about to pop off. So while we were paying attention to the conga line, uh-huh. they were setting something up on stage. You come back to the stage, uh-huh. girl, it's women in 30-foot stilts. 
how you sneak a 30 foot anything? Doing like praise dances with the streamers, just popping off. <laughs> the little ribbon dancing. Just little ribbons. I'm like, you got all the way up there to, to do some ribbons or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I would have chose something else, but it's fine. So at this point, the crowd is like, holy what shit. What? This is yeah. amazing. Clearly into it. By the end of it, people are standing up. There's mm-hmm. like quintessential 90s artist, J-Lo, into Beck, it. just like clapping, looking around like, oh my God. <laughs> What is happening? What? This, was, what is this, this was exhilarating. <laughs> and, you know, there's just like confetti, happiness, confusion, joy. I remember joy. the confetti. It's just, it's just great. So that was his first introduction to the U.S. Mm-hmm. At the time, the head of the United Talent Agency called Martin's performance the single biggest game-changing moment for any artist in the history of the Grammys. Wow. One month later, they're like, fuck it. Just throw everything at him. And that's mm-hmm. when he dropped the album and the video and the single for Living La Vida Loca. It debuted at number one on the Billboard 200 and sold 661,000 copies in its first week of release. Wow. Becoming the most successful album to debut on the Billboard charts by a Hispanic artist. And then, of course, Living La Vida Loca hit number one on the charts and stayed there for five weeks. Five weeks is a long time for a song to stay on the chart, but at number one in particular. Yes. Bonafide. That's wild. <laughs> one of the things that I love about Ricky Martin mm-hmm. <laughs> Like Ricky has a very signature move where he, he like tilts his hips to it's one the... side and then his torso goes the other way. Wait, <laughs> what? And then and he just stays there. You're right. I just did it. We just did it. Yeah, That's he it. just stays there. Oh, yes, and got it. That's he it. He just stays there. He's like, oh, you do you really want it? Do you really want it? And he just switches back and forth. And like it's basically like a slow motion shimmy, right? Like, but it's just like Whoa. he just pauses and lets you take it in. And I feel like I'm like, damn, does he just stand that way regularly? Because it's just so great and it's wow. very graceful. Anyway, I, I did it twice and it's raised my confidence at least like three points. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Shout out to Rick and Martin for that. Okay, so we're gonna do something a little bit different. Um, we know lots of stuff. We're really smart, mm-hmm. but you know what? We don't know everything. Mm-hmm. And a thing that we are not experts on is Latin music. Indeed. So later, we're going to talk to the man who wrote Living La Vida Loca, Desmond Child, about the creation of the song and his extensive songwriting career. Mm-hmm. But first, our producer, Eric, is going to talk to Dr. Maria Elena Cepeda, who is the chair and professor of Latina Latino studies at Williams College, about the history of America discovering, I hope you can hear my air quotes when Big I quotes say that, there. discovering <laughs> Latin music and what the 90s Latin explosion actually means. Let's hear that now. Hi, I'm Maria Elena Cepeda. I am professor and co-chair of Latina and Latino studies at Williams College. I'll start you off by asking a really important question. Can you tell me about the first time that you heard the song, Living La Vida Loca? (laughs) Okay, I was a graduate student at the University of Michigan, and I first heard this song um, in that context as somebody who had already spent about a year at that point studying Latin music, you know, and I'd been a fan for a very long time. So it was amazing for me to watch people think about this song as a moment of discovery, sort of like mainstream Americans discovering Latin music. And so Ricky Martin's, you know, Live in La Vida Loca gets framed often as this moment of the beginning of the Latin music boom of the late 1990s, early 2000s. And, so, and it gets framed as a moment of discovery for everybody when actually 
It's not. It's a repeat. I mean, the whole idea of the Latin boom is actually a construction. For sure. And I definitely want to ask you those questions. And I assume he was also the first person to uh, dance with an attractive woman and have a big red car in his music video. Exactly. And that's, you know, <laughs> so we th- you know, we're kind of saying that and laughing because there are so many tropes and images and sounds that are repeated that are familiar in Live in La Vida Loca. And that's part of why the song clicks for a lot of people, while it engages a lot of people, because... It seems like it's something new, but it's actually something that's quite familiar, and that's part of its appeal. All right, well, let's talk about its familiarity. Uh, There is nobody who I would rather ask than someone with your credentials. Can you walk us through the history of the United States discovering Latin music? (laughs) That's a huge question. I'm going to go back just to the 20th century. We think about things like the rumba craze of the 1930s, the mambo craze of the late 40s and 50s, um, boogaloo in the 60s, right? 70s salsa. um, You know, there are all these moments of encounter between Anglo and Latinx culture that occur musically. So for us to talk about the Latin music boom of the late 90s and early 21st century as something new is actually quite problematic because it's happened many times before. And so what happens when you buy into the vision or into the notion that Ricky Martin is doing something that's entirely new, you're actually rendering a lot of really complex musical histories and a lot of musical contributions on the part of Latinx artists you're simplifying them and actually erasing a lot of them. Right. All of those beats and all of the uh, the familiar Spanglish, you just something clicked in the 90s where everyone was like, oh, now this is pop music and not rumba. Exactly. Exact. Yeah, well, I think there we see it as a moment, like there's a very famous Time magazine cover that says Latin goes pop, right? And it features Ricky Martin in May, I think it's May 1999, right? And so there's this idea that Latin music goes pop and pop becomes shorthand for white, right? White, English language, um, mainstream. So there's this idea that all of a sudden Latin music is becoming popified or becoming whitened. And that's part of its appeal, right? Ricky Martin is somebody who's very palatable for the mainstream. Um, This is, as Puerto Rican author Esmeralda Santiago says, he represents the white face of the Caribbean. So we're coming, and this is also a historical moment where a lot of people are becoming aware of shifts in demographics, increases in the Latinx population, right? 1999, we're talking about 32, roughly 32 million Latinx individuals living in the United States, or about 12% of the population. It's a moment of relative economic prosperity coming towards the end of Bill Clinton's second term in office. These big numbers of Latinx is because we're in a moment of economic prosperity. These people don't represent so much of a threat. So it's this perfect moment, right, for Latinx music to sort of take center stage. Mm. I First of all, I did look it up. It was May 1999. I'm going to look on eBay and try to buy it for you <laughs> and send it to your office. <laughs> Thank you. What I think is really interesting about what you're setting up is that this has been happening in so many times, especially in the 20th century. Why is this the Latin explosion and not when salsa was a huge deal? And why do we not call the Latin explosion in the 1930s? Like, What, what was it about this moment that gave it the phrase... Latin explosion. 
I think it's the sheer force of numbers, right? And what, what's being discovered right now is not necessarily just Latin music. It's also Latin, the Latinx market in general. So this demographic increase of Latinx peoples sort of leaves the population ripe for discovery as a market. It's this moment where you're seeing Latinx people coming into being as a market that can be readily identified and tailored to, or catered to, I should say. And in the United States, we have this thing, right? Because of capitalism, it's like people come into being once they can be counted and sort of packaged and framed as a market, a market to be exploited. For sure. So I wonder how Ricky Martin fits into all of this, because the year is 1999. What I felt was really interesting as we dug into his biography is like the rest of the world knew who he was. But then he did Copa La Vida, which was the song of the World Cup, which is nearly the pinnacle alongside Eurovision of things that the rest of the world loves that the United States doesn't. (laughs) So and then Ricky and then all of a sudden he switches to English slash Spanglish and his self-titled English album, Ricky Martin, explodes. So how does he fit into this moment? Oh, well, I like the fact that you say all of a sudden about Ricky well, Martin. It's, because it's, Ricky Martin... It's, no, it's what it's like everyone else knew. And then, and then <laughs> America everyone was like, else. wait a second, that guy from General Hospital? Exactly. But for Latinx audiences, he's been around forever. I've known who Ricky Martin was since I was a very young child. So in a sense, that shows how there are different media markets within the United States. Right. So the Latin American market then became able to buy enough albums to support Ricky Martin in that way. Yes. Mm, That's interesting. I wonder if there's like, uh, and I don't know enough about this, so I do want to ask you, is there like a line we can trace from Selena through? Yes. You can directly draw a line between Selena and Ricky Martin. You can say Selena comes before Ricky Martin in the chronology, but Selena's death. And what happens when Selena dies is that People Magazine decides to do a cover story of her. And they decide to do it for select portions of the country like Texas, where they said, okay, there's a large Mexican origin population in Texas. These are Selena's fans. Let's do this for them. Well, what happened was the issue sold out immediately all over the country. And People Magazine says, wait, Latinxes read (laughs) and they have money. So People in Español is born out of that moment. And that is a big moment in sort of like Latinx media and music boom that starts coming, that starts around that moment. This particular boom, again, I don't want to say this is unique, but this particular boom starts around that moment, 1995 with the death of Selena and then this starts to, you know, steamroll. And then we get to the moment of sort of what people think of as the one of the apexes of the moment of this whole cultural moment, which is Ricky Martin in 1999. And one thing I really want to highlight about his performance in the Grammys and also in the video for Live La Vida Loca is the energy. There is so much energy in that performance It's really arresting whether or not you like the music, whether or not you find a lot of the tropes and imagery very tired, which I do, right? I mean, the video and the performance are all about excess, excess of sound, excess of motion, excess of color. And again, very stereotypical ideas about Latinx peoples that get recycled on screen and over the airwaves. For sure. It's amazing though. And then like what this, this becomes one of the, this is one of the most important songs of the nineties. It has importance beyond the nineties. It's still reverberating, 
it's like a little time capsule, right? I mean, these songs are windows onto what we're thinking about as a society, what we value as a society in that particular moment in time. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about some of that reverberations. What are we feeling now from Living La Vida Loca, the cresting of that wave? Well, still sing, I mean, like Despacito, which lead us to think about crossover in new ways. What I think is interesting about Despacito is that we, although it was a massive hit in Spanish language, I feel like Justin Bieber came in and rubber stamped it. Yes. Like we still needed Justin Bieber to be like, don't worry, guys, we got this Canadian boy. He's here, too. In a way, it sort of opens up the song to new markets, to new listeners. And it's not just Justin Bieber who's reinventing himself. One of my colleagues has done a lot of research in this area. Her name is Petra Rivera Rideau, and she talks about how you know, Despacito is not just about Justin Bieber legitimizing himself. It's also about Luis Fonsi, who's a Puerto Rican singer, who's normally been known as a ballad and a pop singer, reinventing himself as, an, as a Latin urban singer. So it shows that crossover doesn't just occur between the English language movement from the Spanish language to the English language market. It's also about movements within or and across different Latin genres. Right? And there are real implications for that because people have tended to think of Latin urban music and songs like Despacito, and they associate them with blackness. But then Luis Fonsi comes in as a white Latinx singer and you know, shakes up that idea. So you can see crossover is much more complex than we give it credit for being. For sure. I think there are wonderful things about the fact that the reggaeton market and the Latin urban market gets opened up that more people are listening to music in Spanish. But at the same time, if you look at the video and you think about the remix with Justin Bieber, Justin Bieber in Despacito is the only one who gets to be a full, you know, in the video, the only one who gets to be a full-fledged person, mm. right? Um, everybody else is sort of like a secondary character after Justin Bieber when it's not even really his song. And it really tells you something about the music industry, right? The music industry is very strategic, very tactical, Music is, it's so expensive to produce a single, so expensive to market one that they don't want to take any chances. Nothing is left to chance. Absolutely. This is, listen, we could talk about this for, and I could bring up other we examples could. and you can give me other examples. <laughs> we could go on for a year. Is there anything that you wanted to say about Ricky Martin or any of the topics that we touched on or you just want to talk about how much you love Soundgarden or anything in the 90s? <laughs> is there anything you want to say that I haven't asked you about? Well, I want to say something about Ricky Martin, right? We can look at Ricky Martin right now from and think about him as like a queer subject. But at the time in which this song emerges, People know that, but it's kind of like an open secret, but it's still not common knowledge, I think, for most viewing and listening audiences. Ricky Martin, I think, is really important. He's not too Latin, as they say in a lot of the, you know, the media of the time would talk about him as not being too Latin. Interesting. Which meant he wasn't too much of a threat, right? His, he, it's a very palatable Latinx identity because of its proximity to whiteness. What I find really interesting and something that we've dug into his bio a little bit, when he was on General Hospital, he was encouraged to take elocution lessons to, to get rid of his Puerto Rican accent. So it's still interesting how there are ways that they were trying to force him to be more palatable to white America. And yet this is still an acceptable version of Absolutely. who we had when we get to 1999. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking. No, thank you. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. 
Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, nothing. No tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Hi, I'm Desmond Child, and I am a songwriter. So we want to start off talking about the quote-unquote Latin explosion of the 90s. What do you think about that particular term, Latin explosion? To me, it kind of sounds like a title that someone very outside of the Latin pop music industry made up. But is it an accurate term to describe what was happening with music then? Well, I think that it's pretty accurate that the moment had come. And moments come when there is a star that ignites a genre of music. Elvis Presley did that. So did Frank Sinatra. So did Michael Jackson. And the star that came along after a very long time from crossover Latin music, which had been a decade before with Gloria Stefan and John Cicada, there came a very special bulk who came out of a group called Menudo. And he grew up and he began performing and making his own records. And he kept his Menudo fans and built on that. And when I met him, he'd already become quite popular in Latin America. And his name is Ricky Martin. Yes. And so what happened was that it was a confluence of my coming back to Miami, Miami Beach, where I grew up after the earthquake, the Northridge earthquake in 1994, my husband and I decided to move to Miami. And so there I kind of got back into Latin music, which were my roots. My mother was a Latin songwriter and my uncle was a Latin singer and dancer. And so I grew up in Latin music. So I went back and I started going to Latin clubs like Centro Vasco and started taking salsa lessons and all of this stuff. And it was very much fun. And then I got word from my manager's wife, Carlene Simone, that there was a kid who was on General Hospital Mm -hmm. who was very handsome and could sing. And then I got a call from my friends, Debbie Ohanian and Richard J. Alexander, because Debbie had seen him and introduced him to Richard, who cast him in Les Mis on Broadway. So now I was getting it from two different sources. So I said to my manager, I said, okay, come on, let's figure this out. So he went to Columbia Records, and sure enough, they were already trying to see how they were going to cross him over into the international market, especially the U.S. market. And so it just so happens that he lived six blocks down the road from me. Crazy. And so it was quite convenient. And I was already making records in a converted garage on a system called Pro Tools. And I decided, okay, well, this is going to work out and he can just pop over here and sing. And so we started working together and he brought along with him his kind of co-member of Menudo who became his 
kind of uh, alter ego and his producer and songwriter is named Draco Rosa. And so then Draco and I began co-writing and producing for Ricky together because I just figured that, you know, he would understand, you know, Ricky's style intimately. And so then what I brought to the picture was my pop skills and the rock anthem technique that I had learned from working with Paul Stanley of Kiss and working with Bon Jovi and Steven Tyler and Joe Perry of Aerosmith and Alice Cooper and Joan Jett. And I brought all this kind of rock anthem style to Latin music. And so that's, to me, that was what ignited the Latin music explosion of the new millennium. Mm. Right. So tell us about the moment that you wrote the song. Like, how much do you remember about the day? Like, I want you to walk us through this. Well, first of all, we had an inside track on who was going to be the main artist for the World Cup of 1998, where it was France against Brazil, and it was going to be in France. And so my managers they suggested Ricky Martin. And of course, they didn't know of him, really. They didn't think, you know, they wanted, you know, whoever, Michael Jackson, let's say, at the time. They wanted somebody that was internationally known. And so we didn't care. And we wrote a song called The Cup of Life. And we presented it and everybody went crazy. That's the... um... Yeah, the song that he sang on the Grammys where Madonna went crazy and the whole world just woke up to Ricky Martin. So that song was called The Cup of Life, La Copa de la Vida. And so after that Grammy award, we still hadn't come out with the record yet. And we were almost wrapping it up because we wanted to cash in on his performance. And his manager, Angelo Medina, called me up and said, hey, you know, we need a song that's in Spanglish. 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 English and Spanish. (laughs) Because, you know, so this way everyone can understand the song. Because the Cup of Life, you know, did have English lyrics, but, you know, it, it was very strong in Spanish. So that's when I put my thinking cap on and I came up with this title, Live in La Vida Loca. Because I thought, gosh, what does everybody know uh, who's American in the U.S.? And oh, El Pollo Loco. Loco. Oh. That's smart. And so I came up with this idea and Draco worked with our arranger coming up with a fantastic feel and track and, you know, the swing of the melody. And so then they were working in one room and I was working on the lyrics and Draco came in and we put the two together and finished it off together, Draco and I. And the vision of it was we envisioned Ricky as the Latin Elvis meets James Bond. So we envisioned him performing this like Elvis in Vegas, all dressed in black in kind of a small setting, a club-like setting. And that's how it went down. That's how the video went down. You know, swinging his hips around like Elvis Presley. Right, mm-hmm. that's where that comes from. See, and there was another strong influence the year before Frank Sinatra had passed away. So we had been listening a lot to Sinatra Rat Pack music. So if you listen to the verses, they have that 
that swingy you know, sort of vibe. Swing music, yeah. you know. She's uh, in superstition. Oh, kind of like a... Woke up in New York yeah. City. The lady is a tramp. You know, right. that kind uh-huh. of idea. Then when we got to the chorus, then it was fist in the air, influenced, of course, by La Copa Vida, but also rock anthems that I had collaborated with, with Kiss and Bon Jovi and Aerosmith. So it all just came together. And we did it all in my Pro Tools studio, all digitally recorded and mixed. And it was the first song to go all the way to number one, completely done in a digital format. Wow. Oh, I didn't know that. So it's like either. it made history in so many ways. When did you know that you had a hit on your hands? Is it while you were writing the song? Is it after the song came out, the first demo? Like, when did you know, like, this is it? I think when we did the demo and Draco sang the guide vocal and it just all came to life. It was, you know, second heard it, you had goosebumps. And then when Ricky heard it and he started jumping up and down and mm, he was like wow. so ecstatic, he immediately went in and started singing it and it all came to life. So we already knew we had something. It was so unique, but it also opened a very big door to Latin culture and Latin language. Yeah, talk to us about how this song changed Latin music and just like music in general. Well, first of all, the sound of it that was all recorded and mixed digitally in Pro Tools. So it had a different sound and it jumped off the speakers. So from that moment on, no one would record with anything else. I mean, I brought my friend Mark Bright from Nashville. He was Rascal Flatts and Carrie Underwood. And I showed him the system and he said, you know, Nashville will never go for that. (laughs) Within one year, every studio had converted to Pro Tools and all those big recording machines were in the hallways, just sitting there like discarded elephants or something. (laughs) That's amazing. I have so thoroughly enjoyed, um, it's like a history lesson. There's so much that I did not know about Mm -hmm. Ricky Martin and how Living La Vida Loca came to be and the Latin explosion. We are so thankful for you being so generous with your time. Is there anything that you'd like to plug, some projects you've got coming out? Where can people find you and your work? I can be found at Desmond.Child on Instagram and Desmond Child on Facebook and I think it's Desmond Child on Twitter as well. And my website is DesmondChild.com, where there's more information and news. I've co-written my autobiography with uh, David Ritz, and it's called Desmond Child, Living on a Prayer, Big Songs, Big Life. Oh, I love that title. And that's going to be out next year as well. And I also have the story of my family before and after the Cuban Revolution. It's become a Broadway show called Cuba Libre. Been working on that, and I also have been developing limited series called Transcon, The Making of Lou Pearlman and the Boy Band Revolution. Oh. And it's set in Orlando. And it's the $500 million Ponzi scheme that bankrolled the making of the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. So, you know, I'm pretty busy. I go from one Skype to the other. It sounds like there's a lot of places people can find you and a lot of your work that we get to consume. And in the current landscape, we're going to need some um, Some some good art. Yes. Yes. Old stuff, new stuff. We are very, very excited. So thanks so much for chit-chatting with us. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed spending some time with you. Thank you. And um, thank you so much for having me as a guest. 
All right, friends and family, this has been my 90s playlist. But before we go, we have one more segment that we like to call Put Me On. Put Me On. Okay, so after I re-listened to Live in La Vida Loca and watch his Grammy performance mm-hmm. a gazillion times, yes. what should I put on next? So I have the perfect continuation from Ricky Martin, actually. Okay. It's Tony Braxton. Hear me out. There's mm-hmm. a link. Okay. I just Tony Braxton is just Tony Braxton. Like, she's right. got the voice of an angel, the body of a personal trainer who gets mad at you whenever she sees you holding a cookie in your hand. I think Tony would be a very nice personal trainer. Do you think so? I think all personal trainers are scary. That's one of the reasons I don't have one. Anyway, (laughs) our girl Tony had a song in the year 2000, which, you know, not quite 90s, but it's like right on the cusp. We're still in the 99 and 2000. Mad cuspy. Do you remember her song, Spanish Guitar? Oh, my God. I forgot about it until I started thinking about Ricky Martin. Because I happened upon the video, and if you don't remember the video, it's the most beautifully 2000s video in the world. Like, it's just a vehicle for her to be beautiful be in and bikini like be in a wa- yes, water. Yes. And so, of course, if you can't guess by the title, it's about a Spanish guitar. <laughs> right. There's a Spanish guitar in the song. Right. In the video, there's just like this random, like, nondescript Latin man mm-hmm. in the video. And he just like shows up in the middle of the video while was she's like Martin? in this. It was not, but you could tell that it's supposed to be. Like it's just what? like I think. I mean, like it's just this is just my theory. Crazy, but I mean it's the year two thousand, right? And right. like Tony's like, oh, we got to get in on this explosion as well. <laughs> so how how can a young fine tenor thing like myself we get have in to get on, her this? on this explosion as well? And she did it. <laughs> she made this beautiful song about being in love with the Spanish with musician. <laughs> I mean, you know. In the video, it's just like, I'm sure they were at like a resort with a swim-up bar. And it's just like, okay, girl, let me go put on this bikini for two hours. Right. And then just like love up on this beautiful shirtless man. And then rose petals and guitar. And bam. And that's all I want. That's all I want. I want to be on a beach right now with uh with the with the full package. You know what I'm saying? You get all the, all the what is it called? All the all-inclusive All-inclusive, yes. right. I don't, no kids. Right. No kids. 18 and up only. And right. I just want I just want to listen to somebody play a guitar for me while I look beautiful in a bikini. Also, the song is beautiful. Shout out to Tony. Shout out to Tony. I cannot wait to put that on again. Me too. We will be back next week to add another track to our mixtape here on My, my 90s, 90s Playlist. Oh, bye-bye. Bye. Playlist is a Sony Music Podcast. The show is hosted by me, Tracy Clayton, and Okoto Aforiata, and produced by Multitude. Our lead producer is Eric Silver, editor is Brandon Grugel, and executive producers are Tracy Clayton and Amanda McLaughlin. A special thank you to the artists, their managers, and everyone at Sony Music who made this podcast possible. For a full list of show credits, please visit my90splaylist.com. You can find a playlist of the songs from and inspired by our show by searching My 90s Playlist wherever you stream your music. And if you like the show, please hit subscribe and be sure to tell your friends. That is the best way to help us grow. Thanks for listening.